0: We're on our third week of a series Jeff and I are doing called Pursued and Encountered. And the foundational idea of this series is that God is seeking us, and he's not seeking us just sort of in a soft way, in sort of a you know, figurative way. He's coming after us because he wants to encounter us. God made humanity to live in intimacy with him. That is all of our calling. Somebody goes, well, I don't don't know what my calling, what my destiny is. Oh, I I know what it is. It's that you would live every day of your life with a face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ. That's your calling and your destiny. Now, there's little specifics like what your job might be on this side. But hey, whatever your job is, that's far less than your calling as a kingdom of priests. All right? All right. So God made us for intimate relationship, and so he continually pursues us. He's always seeking us because he wants to encounter us. You know, he's on a a seek-and-rescue mission for the lost, but in some ways, I believe, like, he's on a seek-and-rescue mission for his bride because we've gotten sometimes off kilter and off course, and we've kind of found ourselves, you know, scratching in the dirt with chickens, and turkeys instead of soaring with eagles. Hello. And so the Lord, he wants to engage us. He made you to engage with you. And we have to get that truth that Christianity is not supposed to be a spectator sport. It's not supposed to be something we sit on the sideline and watch others with their testimony and with their good thing that God's doing for them, but we just stand by. No, Christianity is a full contact religion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's not just a religion in the sense of a system of belief. It is a relationship with God Almighty. Amen. And so that's our premise. That's where we're, we're operating from. The Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for people whose hearts are, will be fully His and that will love Him with authentic hearts. To really just lay yourself before Him and say, Lord, I'm yours. Have me. Have all of me. Do with me whatever you want. And so that's why we're preaching this series, because we're calling our spiritual family into that kind of a reality. And I know many of you have served the Lord for many, many years, but there's something that's happening to us, even as I'm just thinking about the messages the Lord's given Jeff and I over the last several weeks, and, and even where we're going in the next few days, and even now that we're in this fast, starting tomorrow, I feel like we're, as a spiritual family, we're undergoing a conversion right now. God is converting us from Western Christianity to biblical Christianity. He's converting us from churchianity to the kingdom of God, where we actually truly live as brothers and sisters, where we really live as disciples of Jesus, where we really love and serve and give and bless, and we humble ourselves and we forgive and we repent when we get off course. We really live the words of the book. You know, I don't want to just read the book and go, oh, that's good Bible stories. I want to live the words of the book. I want to live them. I don't want just the form of godliness and denying its power. I want the actuality of it in my life. And I'll tell you this, when I get to those places of prayer and I'm studying the word and I'm seeing in my life that there's a dissonance between what the Scripture says a life that's saved, redeemed, and converted looks like and what my life looks like. Man, I come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't stand here as a man telling you how you should act and all of a sudden I'm, you know, I, I, I'm void from any of that conviction. No, I'm under the same blade called the Word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces the heart. And as the Lord is convicting all of us and drawing us all into intimacy in a way that's really sometimes a little too close for comfort, isn't it? As he's doing it to you, he's doing it to me. And we're undergoing this conversion together, aren't we? We really are. And so here's the thing. we got to leave the trappings of Western Christianity. we got to leave the mentalities of just having mental assent to the truths of Scripture. we got to leave the ideas of easy believism And we've got to get into what it really means to love and serve Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and have an authentic faith. And so that's where we're at. And so here's where our challenge is. When you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to a vibrant relationship with Jesus, you say, Jesus Christ can be Lord of my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Well, immediately there's a confrontation. Because when you ask him for his kingdom come and his lordship to come, it means your kingdom has to go. He can't come in and all of a sudden, you know, you just go, well, this, 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 and this. These are all my preferences and all my ideas, and these are all sacred to me. But you're going to have to just sort of work around all that because this is my stuff. No, you know how we treat him sometimes? We treat him like a visitor that gets to come and stays in our guest room. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm preaching way better than y'all are right now, but it's all right. We, we act like he's going to come in and just stay in the, come in the side door and stay in the little guest room and up, in the, up in the upstairs, and, and he doesn't have to, re, you know, he doesn't get to rearrange anything. Almost like he comes and hey, can I, can I rearrange the furniture in here? Oh, no, 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 that's my guest room. You're just here as a visitor. You don't own the place, Jesus. Guys, when we ask Jesus to come in, he comes in with a wrecking ball. He doesn't come in as a visitor in the guest room. He comes in and crushes the house, completely sweeps the entire foundation of it. All your furniture's gone. All the framing is gone. And guess what? The foundation He digs that completely up, plows that completely up, and he goes, "Now, let's get started." And he begins to dig down deep and reform us. Re-foundation us. There's only one foundation that can be laid, and that's the foundation of Jesus Christ. And not one of us were born into that. The only way you can get into that is get to is that you get born again into that. And so what he has to do is he's got to clear the other foundation out. And here's what happens: have you ever seen somebody building a fantastic mansion or a great, you know you know, awesome like a skyscraper. When you go and you see the beginnings of that thing, they dig down deep into the ground. And it looks like a muddy mess, doesn't it? It's just, I mean, you, go, you look at those construction sites and you think, man, these guys are messing it all up. Like, this is a complete wreck. What is this? They go, oh, that's going to be a uh, you know 50-story penthouse. Well, it doesn't look like that. It looks like a mess. And that's what happens sometimes when the Lord comes in. Our lives look like he just wrecked us completely up. But that's a good sign. If your kingdom is going, it's a good sign that his kingdom is coming. Okay, so you're not what you were, right? But you're not yet what you're going to be. We're on the journey. We're on the way. And so this is our challenge right now that can we handle him when he comes? Because when he comes, he comes like a consuming fire, He comes like a launderer's soap. He purifies the sons of Levi. He purifies us. And he's not coming to come as a visitor or as a guest or as a mascot. He's coming to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so, with that in mind, I want to talk about an, an incredibly important day that the Lord fashioned you for, that he's already thought about a day that he thinks about all the time where he is going to encounter you. Now, the challenge is this is a day that the Lord thinks about all the time that's continually mentioned and talked about and taught about in Scripture, but it's a day that most Western Christians don't hardly ever think about. And it's the day that you and I will see him face-to-face. I mean, the day when, for the very first time, your eyes will be opened, and they will peer on the face of the one who's infinite. Have you thought much about that day? You know, sometimes we think about it like in a, in a moment of real introspection and self-seeking, like, oh man, I'll have to stand for the Lord one day, da 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 But I will tell you that Jesus Christ, from the moment that he actualized you in the eternal mind, he's been thinking about the day that he would see you face to face for the very first time. He's been looking at you, but there's a day you're going to look at him. He has been thinking about it from everlasting. You know how I know that? Because it says this, he's loved you with an everlasting love. So he's been thinking about you from forever, looking forward to the day when your eyes finally meet his eyes. He's been staring at you, dreaming of the day when that encounter, that when you first met him, that it, it began by you submitting your life to him, giving your life to him, and, and accepting the power of the cross of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus that began there. He's been looking for the day of consummation when you're actually with him face to face. Oh, beloved, can you imagine, can you imagine what it's going to be like in the moment when you step across and you're no longer seeing just through a glass darkly or through a, what the Bible says, a mirror dimly lit, but you're actually perceiving him face to face? His eyes are burning with fire. His face Shining like the sun in its strength, his voice like the sound of many waters, his head and his hair white as wool, his feet glowing like bronze. I mean, can you imagine the moment when you step across and you step into perfect pleasure? Because in his presence is fullness of joy, at his right hand are pleasures evermore. You're gonna step into that place of perception. And we, no matter how much we've thought about him, all of us will be 100% shocked by the, the beauty of what we behold in Jesus. Every dream... Every desire, every longing of our heart will be overcome by him who is goodness, who is love, who is kindness, who is mercy, who is justice. We'll stare into him and all of the dreams, all of the longings of our soul will be fulfilled in one millisecond. And we'll step into that place of wonder and glory and shock and awe. And all of a sudden, our frame will, for the first time, our frame will begin to make sense. What do I mean by that? I mean this. You weren't made for this place. You were made for eternity. The Bible says eternity is written on your heart. You know it. Your soul is telling you all the time that this place isn't enough. That the pleasures of this place aren't enough. And that moment you step across and you peer into him who is perfection. For the first time, you it's going to make sense to you. You weren't made for this temporal place. You were made for eternity. You were made to interface with God. You were made for intimacy with the divine. You were made to flow back and forth in love with him who is infinite. Oh man, see, you know, our eyes. You know, our eyes can see millions of miles into the sky. We can see stars that are out there. We can see so many shades of color and brilliance in the spectrum of the color palette. Our ears, we can hear so many sounds. But I just wanna tell you something. Just think about it, just think this through now. In this age, you could get by with just a handful of colors, right? We got the stoplight red, yellow, green, got that down. Handful of other colors. You really don't need millions of colors for this age. What was your eye constructed for? To see God. Your ears, think about all the sounds your ears can hear. And I would tell you this, there's even sounds you can't hear above and below the spectrum. That's what you can hear. There's sound out there that we don't even know what that sounds like yet. But all the stuff we're hearing, you really don't even need that many sounds. God could have made us just with like five beeps. Morse code, man. I mean, think of it. We don't need all this, but why do we have it? Because your ears weren't made just for this place. Your ears were made to behold his voice. Your eyes were made to behold him, the one who is wonder itself. And here's the deal. When you step over the line, the Bible says this, that this incorruptible, will, this corruptible will put on incorruptible. This finite will put on infiniteness. We will be swallowed up in glory. Every pore and fiber of our being will be infiltrated with the very glory of God. Our being will be upgraded so that we can actually perceive him who sits on the throne and not die. Have you thought about that day? Oh, man. It's the day you were made for. I love what John says in his epistle. First John, he says, beloved, now we are the children of God. I love this phrase. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. He goes, I don't know what's going to happen to us, but it's going to be good. We're going to see him as he is. It's not clear what this actually looks like. But when we see him who is divine, we're going to be like him. Oh, beloved, eternal life is to know Jesus Christ. You're going to live forever And your greatest hobby will be just to look at Jesus, just to talk to Jesus, just to experience Jesus, because the worth and the wonder of who he is so far surpasses any of your wildest dreams. You and I have only scratched the surface on revelation of what he's even like. We really don't even know him. We we barely value him with the value that he is worthy of. But oh, for the day when we see him, Oh, for the day when we peer on him for the first time. Oh, that day is a day he's longed for and looked forward to since, well, since the first actualization of humanity from everlasting, and he's thought about you. Have you thought about him? I know you think about him, but have you thought about when you'll see him? Because I will tell you something, it's the most important day in your future. You know, some of you have an, a, a calendar, you know, hopefully you have some sort of a calendar. You have a planner whatever, you have, you have appointments, and you look in your, and you go, man, that's, an, that's a big one. That's a big one. My wife and I, we celebrated our 25th anniversary back in November, and I remember leading up to that anniversary, it was like, man, we just, you know, that was a big day in our calendar, right? We're just looking forward to that day, and had a party, and a celebration, and just seeing that day, you know. Marked up in our calendar, like that's a big one. That's a big one. I will tell you, there is not a day that's close to the day that's already in the calendar of God when you, that day that's marked off for you to see him face to face. There's not a day in your natural calendar that compares to that day. It's an unavoidable day. See, every human will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, everybody will. The believers will, the unbelievers will, everybody will. There's a whole bunch of people, I don't want to talk to you, Jesus. I don't want to see you, Jesus. And I just go, well, that's just too bad. Because you will stand before him. And oh, for his bride, it can be such a beautiful day, such a day of wonder and awe, such a day of majesty and beauty. For the lost, it's a horrible day. It's It's a terrifying day. And for the redeemed, it's a day of wonder and beauty. And so this is what I want to talk about, is this appointment that you have with Jesus that's an unavoidable appointment. It's coming to your life, and it's coming very soon. And here's the deal. Here's why it's coming soon. Because you might say, well, I'm only 20-something. You know, it's not going to be that soon. No, it will be very, very soon. Because your life is like a vapor that appears for a moment and fades away. And though sometimes we have a, a depth perception issue when it comes to time, we think, oh, that's a long way off. I will promise you, time, it goes by incredibly fast. Those of you that are older saints in the room, you probably think, man, this life is sped to this moment. I'm, I'm staring down 50. I don't even, that's 50 in my mind is the new 15, glory to God. I'm staring down 50 and I'm thinking where did this thing go? I'm just I'm just getting started. I'm just a kid. I'm just getting broken in, you know? 50 is the new 15. If you're 80, that's the new 18. Glory to God. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. This life it goes by incredibly fast. You understand how time compresses on you, you know. If you want to wait for a minute for the thing in the microwave to get done, that takes forever. But man, you look back over the last decade and you go, whoa, where did that go? It's a weird thing, this thing called time. This life's like a vapor. Appears for a moment, then it's gone. And I will tell you that you have a very important appointment with Jesus very soon. I want to tell you the most pastoral thing I can tell you right now. You must live your life day in and day out in light of that day. Because if you're living your life day in and day out in light of day in and day out and not thinking about that day, you're living incomplete. You're living short-sighted. You're living what the scripture would call foolishly. Be wise. Be wise. And understand that there's a day coming for you where you're going to stand before the Lord. And the actions and the thoughts and the words of your life today, they will all be reviewed in that day. Now here's what I want to tell you. That day called the judgment seat of Christ, when you stand before Jesus and you look into his face for the first time, it can be a day of wonder and bliss like you've never considered. But for some, it's going to be what the Bible actually says, even believers, a day of loss. I'm being a pastor to you right now because I want to help you have an awesome day on the most important day of your life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. In other words, while they were alive on the earth, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Wow. And then verse 11 goes on and says this, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And he says, we entrust that we're known to you. He goes, and we're all known to God. Have you thought about how much God knows you? Have you thought about how much he understands you? It's such a comfort to me. I'm not scared of the fact that he knows all my thoughts, that he knows all my words before that I before I even speak them. I'm not scared of that. That it's such a comfort to me. You know me? Because I don't know me. Do you know what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm talking about. You feel something, you're trying to say it, you say it all wrong. God's up there going, I know what you meant. I know you. Yeah, you goofed it up, but I know you were trying. I know what you meant. I'm like, Lord, could you tell them what I meant? <laughs> Husbands and wives, man, we don't know what each other's talking about. Thank God that God does. Because I just uh, sometimes I just go, honey, just go ask the Lord what I'm talking about because I know it's not coming out right. He knows every word before we say it. He knows all of our days before we live them. They're all written in a book for us. There's this thing called obedience, which is faith. Faith and obedience are the same thing. And if we say with our hearts yes to Jesus, that means we're we're saying yes to walk out a lifestyle of obedient love. And man, in that day when he reviews our life, it is going to be the most majestic, most wonderful thing there is. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to take in the time that we have left. Just... just a a quick overview of what that day is going to look like, what the components are, walk us through it, and then call our lives to make sense. Because so many believers that I find right now, the way that they live every day of their lives, it doesn't make sense in light of that appointment. They live for right here, right now. They live for a culture that's a, a fallen culture that's built on consumerism and greed. They, they live to try to, to look okay to a world system that is going to hell. Instead of living their lives to stand before the one who's perfect and present a life laid down to him. So here's how it's gonna work because people wonder, they go, well, you know, I did get saved, so so if he's gonna review every thought, word, and deed, man, I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of sort of like junk in my trunk. Like, what do I do with that? Well, here's the deal. The first thing is this, your sin before you came to Jesus is completely destroyed, disintegrated, expunged, forgiven, washed, and cleansed by the power of the blood of Jesus. Man, I'm glad about that. I'm just like, whoo, glad about that. Because I was a train wreck before I came to Jesus. And the last thing I want is for all of that mess to be explained in the throne room of God. Can you imagine trying to stand before Jesus, who is perfection, who is holiness itself, and trying to explain every sinful action of your life before you came to Christ? trying to justify that somehow, like, oh, God, I tried, you know, and it's just all just wickedness and sin, and there's no sacrifice for it. Could you imagine trying to stand before him and justify yourself? Oh, that's called the great white throne judgment. That's what unbelievers will do. Believers, because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, they get to stand before Jesus They go, Lord, it wasn't my goodness that got me here. It wasn't my ability. I was nothing. I was a wreck. I was broken. I was fallen. And you rescued me. He goes, that's exactly right. And you go, God, my life. He goes, what life before me? What are you talking about? It's cleansed, son. It's forgotten. It's not even in the mix of our review today. I go, oh, my God, thank you. See, some of us, we go, well, man, I was saved. I I grew up saved. I mean, I came out of the womb with baptism waters on my face. I was saved. And I go, no, you weren't. You weren't saved. You didn't come out of the womb saved. You, You know, people say, well, I was raised in church. I don't care. You could have been raised in a barn. That doesn't make you a cow. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're raised in church or you know. <laughs> You have to have given your life to Jesus. Every person born into this world because of Adam's sin, our first father, he passed down his sin nature to us. Every person born into this world was born under sin. We were born wicked. We were born broken. That's why you don't have to teach a two-year-old to be selfish. Right? Two-year-old, you try to get them playing with other two-year-olds, and it just let them go and you just watch, just watch the fray. Just watch the puppies begin to fight. Mine, mine, mine. You don't have to teach that. Why? Because sin in the heart, greed, the fallen state of humanity. Every human being was born into that. We all needed the delivering, saving power of Jesus' blood. We all needed it. And some people are so self-righteous, they go, well, you know, I never really got into anything bad. Let me ask you something. Did you ever lie one time? Because one lie is eternally wicked uh, compared to him who is eternally perfect. You see what I'm saying? One wickedness is infinitely wicked because he's infinitely perfect. Now stack up all of our sin before we came to Christ and oh my God, I'm so grateful for the blood of Jesus. Because that's not me anymore, man. He cleansed me. He set me free. He delivered me. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. I've got a new g- generation. I'm a completely different person than I was before. And I'm grateful for that. And that's the believer's experience. We get to stand before him, and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us to the uttermost. Glory to God. Glory to God. And so when Jesus is reviewing our life, he's actually reviewing it with the intention of rewarding us. That's what the scripture directs us to when you read the verses one after another after another, I'm telling you, the New Testament is full of scriptures about the judgment seat of Christ and, and the reward for believers. Jesus used rewards as a main way to motivate people to righteousness. And so the scripture is full of verses ab- about the reward system. And so the Lord, when he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, he's calling us to being motivated by eternal rewards. The problem is we live with a sin consciousness. Because we live in compromise, whoa, and because we live in compromise, we think of the judgment seat in this way of shame instead of in this place of reward and blessing. And so the Lord's whole mentality is that he would get to reward you on that day. And the blood of Jesus cleanses our past, and so he says, well, what about the sin that I've I've done in Christ since I've been saved? What about that sin? And the Bible is absolutely 100% clear that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins. It's not talking about going to a priest. It's talking about keeping short accounts and living a life of repentance. No one's perfect. No no one gets it right all the time. Christians that walk around acting like they're perfect, well, the Bible is actually clear it says it makes God a liar. Let's read it. First John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So he's talking about people who are continually practicing sin, and they say they're Christians. Okay, we, he goes, no, that's a lie. And then he goes, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now he's talking about believers. If believers walk around go, I'm perfect, I've just got it all down, I don't really sin, I haven't sinned in months, I go, well, you better check yourself, what was that you just did, a little pride coming out there, mm If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So here's this thing. When you got saved instantaneously you were made right with God. That's called sanctification. You were positionally sanctified and made perfect and clean before him. And at the same time, you begin to undergo a process of sanctification. It's positional and it's progressive. Justification is the same thing. You were, you were instantaneously proclaimed innocent and then there's a process of justification that happens through our lives. This is how the Bible teaches it. There's an instantaneous work and a progressive work and the grace of God enables both. Hallelujah. Thus, on the other side of getting saved, when we sin, we repent. You just repent. and I'm not saying you flippantly repent, but you recognize that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. he's willing and he's ready to hear our repentance, to hear our confession, and cleanse us and restore us to righteousness instantaneously. You don't have to go into purgatory in your sin. You don't have to go through a bunch of penance in your sin. You can repent of sin, turn to Jesus, and the blood of Jesus, bang, instantaneously sets you in perfect right standing with God again. It's beautiful, man. The power of the blood of Jesus is shocking. It's fantastic. And so, sin that you have done in Christ is all able to be cleansed if we will repent. So, how do you live then as a Christian? You just live keeping short accounts. When you blow it, you repent. You say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Don't justify yourself. I'm blown away with how many believers justify themselves. Take this attitude, take this attitude. If somebody has a problem with you, just go, just tell me what I did. I'm happy to repent. Be happy to repent. Because all repentance really is, is agreement with God and disagreement with the devil. That's all it is. I disagree with the work of the devil in my life, the work of darkness. And I agree with the work of God in my life. I humble myself and I just ask for mercy right now. I turn from darkness and I turn to light. Come on. In a marriage, keep short accounts. That's right. He's single. Good job, man. You're getting it. Ladies, there's a good one. All right, just saying. I remember some years ago, one of my sons. He asked me. Said he. uh, He said, uh, "Dad, why do Christians get divorced?" I said, "Because he's just noticing a bunch of Christian, you know, marriages going through it, and and divorces happening." And I said, "You know, that's an awesome question, son." He goes, "Why does it happen?" And I just thought, "How can I just make this as simple as possible?" And I just thought, you know, the reason why Christians get divorced is because they stop repenting. Somebody or both parties start in sin, they do not repent, and they let that sin continue to fester, and sin creates strongholds, habits of sin that are now demonically inspired, and because people won't repent, they get bound in sin, even as believers, and they get separated from the one they've made a covenant with. And ultimately, they side with their sin even over their spouse. What am I saying? I'm saying this. Keep short accounts. If you get it wrong with your spouse, repent. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so wrong. Please forgive me. I sinned against you. I sinned against God, and I sinned against you. Forgive me. Parents, repent to your kids when you get it wrong. Really? You're not going to be a perfect parent. I'm not. It was a What? I mean, you have to repent. You have to ask for forgiveness. This is the normal way that Christians live. And it's not that we're doing greasy grace, like just go sin in all you can so that you get this easy repentance. No, you turn away from sin. That's repentance. But the Bible's clear that when we do that, he restores us into righteousness. He cleanses us. Oh, that's beautiful. And so we won't even have a conversation with him about the sins we've done in Christ at the judgment seat because the power of the blood of Jesus. Every sin in your past and every sin in your present and every sin in your future, all swept away by the power of Jesus' blood. Come on. Come on. So then then, here's the part. Here's really the part that Jesus wants to get to, and it's the rewarding of the saints. So 1 Corinthians 3, Paul really breaks it down in one of his clearest ways right here. Verse 10, he says this. He says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That was my analogy I was given earlier. He digs up the old foundation and puts in a new one. fire. So it's noteworthy that when we stand before the Lord, we're going to present something to Jesus, something that will represent the works of our lives. Now, be very, very clear. We're saved by grace, but we're rewarded by works. It's absolutely clear We're saved by grace. You cannot work your way into salvation. That's impossible. There are no works that you can do that can pay for your sin. That work has already been done. That's Jesus Christ shedding his blood for us on the cross. But the rewarding of the saints is according to our works of righteousness in this age. And here's how I think about it. I go, Lord, I know what I was like before I got saved. You're the one that saved me. And I know that without you, I had no ability in and of myself to do righteousness. So now, any righteousness that I'm doing is by your grace. He goes, "Yeah, you're getting it, son." So it's I'm saved by grace and I live by grace. So it's your power that saved me and your power that enables me to do righteous works. And you're gonna reward me. He goes, "It's a really good deal." He goes, "I make really good deals." It is, this is the best deal going because the, the exchange rate in eternity for righteous works is the best possible exchange rate you could ever, ever dream of getting. Yes. You do a righteous work in this age that's a momentary work and it is forever emblemized in eternity. Yes. The, the saints will receive garments that express their righteous works in this age. It's shocking to think about. I go, but I couldn't have done the righteous work without you. He goes, I know. I'm good. And my mercy, it endures forever. It doesn't wear out. And so what the Lord does is that moment in that day when you see him face to face, after you, you know, pick yourself up off the ground because you're going to get blown away with the wonder of him, He's going to begin to walk through the pages of our lives. He's going to begin to look through all the words, all the actions, and all the deeds in Christ. And every time he finds a righteous word, a righteous action, a righteous deed, it's going to contribute to the reward that he's going to grant us. Shocking. You know, I want to just draw something to your attention. Can you tell me what you ate for lunch two Wednesdays ago? No. But the Lord, he doesn't forget one righteous action done in his name. There's stuff that you've done that was faithfulness 20 years ago, and the Lord already has it in mind to reward you for it. You've even forgotten it. And man, that day when he pulls out the book and looks through the pages of our lives and he begins to enumerate all the righteous actions of the saints, oh my gosh, beloved, it is going to blow our minds the gold and the silver and the precious stones. We're going to see people come before the Lord. We're not going to know their name. We're never going to even know who they were. And the Lord is going to pull out their righteous works and boom, the volumes. going to come out because they had a life of faithfulness, lived in hiddenness. They were obedient in love. They served the Lord without any fanfare, glitz, or glam, without any praise of man. They gave their lives to Jesus And all the days of their life. They served for his glory and his blessing and his love, and he's going to bring out the volumes, and we're going to be shocked by the reward. And then there's going to be others that will come before the Lord, and they the volumes of their lives' works are going to be revealed as well. And when the attention comes to what the work is, we're going to see something, a structure of some sort built, but it will look different than the faithful one. Instead of it being made of gold and silver and precious jewels, it will be made of wood and hay and straw. And in my mind's eye, I always think that the precious structures will be small but the wooden and hay and straw structures will be big. You know? Yeah, I mean, somebody showed me one time $25,000 of gold, real gold, and I could hold it in my hand. But if you gave me $25,000 of wood, I could stack it, you know, to the ceiling, maybe fill half the room, right? Or hay. I mean, we could easily fill the whole room and probably the lobby too. I don't know how much hay costs. I guess it, I, I don't know. Straw—I don't know the difference between hay and straw—but whatever. The point is, those organics are way—they're—they're they're way lighter in density than precious things. But I can't imagine what that's going to be like because they're going to come before him. He's going to review the works. A structure will appear that pre- that represents their works. And he's gonna take that structure through the same process that he took the person who was faithful, their structure through. He's gonna to touch it with fire. And when the fire touches it, that thing, that edifice, that whatever it is, it will be reduced to ashes in one millisecond. And the entirety of their lives' works will be burned up. And I just go, Lord. Judge me now so I'm not judged later. I don't want to do a thing in the flesh. I don't want to do a thing for the praise of men. Remember Jesus talking about the hypocrites? He said they go on the the street corner and they sound a horn before them and, and they want men to see their righteous works. And then he says, they have their reward. They live their whole life for this age for men to see them to, for, to get the praise of men, and they'll show up before the Lord, and He'll go, "You did a lot of works that were righteous, but they actually weren't for Me. They were to be seen by men. And you've already had your reward, the praise of men." And, and, and this—can I just, can I just break it down to bare bones? All right? you you know, maybe you're serving in the church. Maybe, maybe you're blessed to be a part of the cleaning ministry or whatever. And and you're pushing the broom. And and some people will push the broom, and they never want really anyone to see it. They just do it in hidden. And they pray, and they love Jesus, they worship the Lord. They just push the broom, right? And the Lord looks at that service in secret, and he's just taking note. And he's ready to reward it. And then another person, they push the broom too. But, you know, they talk about how they really worked for the Lord. I mean, I was pushing that broom. Man, our children's church, those lodge campers, they really whoa! had to work hard to clean up after them. All for the glory of God, of course. And I'll tell you what, I polished those toilets there, spick and span, all for Jesus. All for Jesus. And they're constantly expressing their righteous works to men. They have their reward. It can be the same exact ministry. It's just the trajectory of the heart. Isn't that incredible? Notice that what's rewarded is actually not based on how, how big it is or how flashy it is or any of that. It's actually just based on what's it made of? What's it made of? What's on the inside? What's that thing really made of? And that's about the heart posture. That's about a heart that's seeking to love Jesus, to serve Jesus with the whole heart, or a heart that's seeking to serve man and serve the flesh. With the heart. And here's what I believe. We're gonna see, because the judgment seat of Christ doesn't take place in a side room. You don't just walk in like the Jesus' office and it's just you and him and you're having a little dialogue. No, it's the grandstand of heaven with all the saints and all the angels. And your name gets called and you step forward. Did I tell you this is an important day in your future? the works are revealed. And here's what's going to happen. People are going to step forward. We'll know their name. It'll be a shock. We'll go, oh man, I know that guy. And he'll step forward. He'll bring all these works. It will be to the ceiling. It will be so many works. And we'll all be like, oh my gosh, what's the reward? And we're like, man, is that, is that gold? What is that? Is that gold plated? What, what's going on with that? Fire will hit the whole thing. Woo! It'll go down to ash. And we'll go. What was that? I know that he, that guy had a serious ministry. He known all over the place. And the Lord will go. You didn't do it for my glory, son. You did it. You did it for your own. And we will all go. We're shocked, we'll be shocked because we I promise you, we'll know the name. And then some little grandma will walk up, and her little works will appear, and there'll be this little box. We're like, what is that? I can't even see it. Who is she? What does she even do? Fire hits it, and it'll glow golden. And he will begin to reward her, and he'll lavish her, and heap her with rewards. And we'll go, who is that lady? And he'll go, nobody really knew her name. She served me in secret. She prayed in secret. She blessed in secret. She gave in secret. I'm rewarding her openly. Yeah. And we will be blown away by the reward that comes to that one. Here's why God isn't so much interested in what man values. We think all these things are awesome and all this, this you know, Christian stuff that's out there, there's big, medium, you know, magnet ministries is everywhere, right? We think, oh, it's amazing. God goes, eh. Huge stuff isn't what God's into. He's into real stuff. Huge stuff isn't what he's into. He's into authentic stuff, the real stuff. The scale of it doesn't determine the value. The size of it doesn't determine the value. What it's made of is what determines the value. So what does God value? And I mean, I would just encourage you just to go on a journey in the Bible because the New Testament is full of passages about the rewarding of the saints and the things that God esteems and the things that God rewards. I'll just give you a partial list, and it's, it's in the notes. You can go to prayermissionschurch.com and get the notes for this week. But obedience, faithfulness, fasting and prayer, all these things are enumerated in the scripture as being rewarded. Humility, perseverance, suffering for righteousness. Man, that one, whenever I read that one, it kind of just, it gets me a little bit. Because in the West, we're so insulated from suffering. And there's so many believers that have lived throughout the ages and that live even in modern day right now. And suffering is their normal portion. And he's gonna reward people according to suffering. And I go, Lord, I, I don't, I mean, it's gonna be bad if like there's some like Wilhelmina Humphrey that's like right next to my name, you know, in the line. <laughs> and she comes up and she's some persecuted Christian that's lived her whole life and, and, and she's suffered for Jesus every day and then he rewards her. And then they go, William Humphrey, I go, uh. I had like good coffee, good prayer room, good people I live with, it was like Atlanta, Georgia, It's like awesome. And I'm not saying that we don't have opportunities to suffer, because if you live righteously, all who live righteously in this age will suffer. But what we do is we stay out of the fray, we insulate ourselves. we pad our lives. Don't want to do anything too crazy now, brother. Don't want to lose, you know, you, you get a little anointing, get a little authority, get a little people coming. You don't want to say anything too crazy. And I will just tell you something. God will authenticate your Christianity through suffering. He'll allow it to be tested here so that when it's revealed there, it's true. Even in the West. But the deal is, if you live in the West and in an environment where you can completely pad your Christianity all the time and you never have to get in the fray, you never have to stick out, you never have to confess Jesus or call out sin, you can actually pad yourself from from all criticisms every day of your life in the West, I just tell you, I just wonder what that's going to play like at the judgment seat. Because there has to be a moment, even in Western Christianity, even in compromise, even in a lukewarm culture that esteems all sorts of stuff that the, co- that the, the, the kingdom of God doesn't esteem. There's got to be a moment when we lift our voice and we say, this isn't the kingdom. We want to live the real thing. And if it costs us, then it costs us. And that's just the way it is. On, we have to stand on the side of righteousness and justice instead of on the side of a donkey or on an elephant. Because that day is the day that I'm living for. I'm not living for this week or this month or next month. I want to live my life in a way that makes sense at the judgment seat. How about you? You want to live your life in a way that makes sense at the judgment seat? Beloved, we have to be a people like that. Why? Because that's Christianity. Western Christianity, we live for today. We just mirror the culture that we're in. Kingdom of God, kingdom Christianity, we live for that day when he will see us face to face and we'll see him face to face and all the secrets of men's hearts will be revealed. Suffering for righteousness, diligently seeking the Lord, generosity, love, all of these are identified as activities that will be rewarded at the judgment seat. No human measures of success are going to matter, no levels of influence or size of platform. None of that's going to matter. It's going to all boil down to this, obedience in love. Did you learn how to love and did you faithfully follow? Obedience in love, it's everything. Love fulfills all the law. If you give your life to being reduced to love, I promise you, you'll find yourself in a place that faith will be required because he will stretch you. When he reduces you to love, he'll cause you to pour yourself out for others. And, oh, beloved, that is a life that will be worthy at the judgment seat. Really, pray this prayer often. Judge me now so I'm not judged later. Judge me now. Show me where there's inequities. Show me where there's issues. See, that's what we do in the church. We don't call them sin anymore. We just call them issues. We've got to call this thing out for what it is, beloved. If there's compromise, it's sin. And if that sin has become a habit, that's called a stronghold, a demonic stronghold. Right. It's got to get broken off. It's got to get delivered. And we have got to throw ourselves on the mercy of cross of the cross so we can live a life that's worthy of him. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. amen and amen. Let's all stand. Let's all stand to our feet. Guys, with all my heart, I want the real deal. And I want you to live the real deal, the real thing. That's why I'm preaching to you like this. That's why Jeff preaches to you like he does. Because we want the real thing. Let's just pray right now. Lord Jesus, Lord, we recognize the word of God. It's the final authority. doesn't matter what our experiences are what our preferences are. doesn't matter what we think truth is. The word is truth. And Lord, right now, we come under the word of God asking for the purifying that comes by the washing of the water of the word. And so Lord, even right now, I ask, turn on the Holy Spirit spotlight. Holy Spirit, search us try us search our hearts see if there be any impure way in us and i pray that you grant us mercy even in this moment that we would come under the grace of god to depart from doubtful things from sinful compromises that we wouldn't make peace with our compromise. Lord, you're so kind. You want to reward us for every lean of our hearts towards righteousness. I'm asking right now that you'd sweep across our entire spiritual family And you'd reveal our hearts, reveal the motives, reveal the intentions. Put your finger on areas of sin and call us out of it, Lord, right now. Call us out of it. Not not out of sin and into shame, out of sin and into liberty into freedom. So come, Holy Spirit, right now. I pray you'd illuminate that day, the day that we see you face-to-face, Jesus. Illuminate it to our minds and our hearts. Bring us out of sort of this cartoon haziness in our minds and make it so clear that we're to live every single day for the wonder of that day.